previously on Lost. All's good for, for Jack and Kate right now. You're sort of happy for them for a minute that, you know, maybe, maybe these two crazy kids will work it out. But, uh, no. Kate says, he can't have you acting this way around my son. And Jack says, you aren't even related to him. Suddenly things are nice and you, like, mistrust it. And with Hurley, it's, like, mistrust to the point where, as of this episode, he believes they are in heaven. And then when they make camp, some image of Christian Shepherd holding Aaron and Claire follows him. They later find Aaron alone at the base of a tree, and Claire is nowhere to be found. Marcel the Shell, uh, you probably heard, came out to a anti-vaccine mandate protest. That was a bummer to uh, know what Marcel the Shell's politics are on that Wait. subject. I'm making a joke about <laughs> as if Marcel the Shell is a real actor. I understand. I, I misunderstood. Audience, you should know that we record these at least a couple weeks in advance and just kind of have them in the can, and then I slowly release them. We have some fun Evangeline Lilly news. Yeah, so as we were recording this, it was just a few days ago, I, I didn't make this connection that, that Spencer was making before. Uh, Evangeline Lilly was at the big rally in D.C. where uh, RFK Jr. was like, look, at least Anne Frank could hide. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you not hear about this? So RFK Jr. is a notorious anti-vaxxer from before COVID. Okay. He, he's like the autism causes vaccines guy. So he's an old schooler. And he was at this rally and he was like, look, you know, things are getting worse here. I mean, in Nazi Germany, at least you could hide like Anne Frank. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. I mean, yeah. potentially, I think the flaw in his logic is you could hide in the attic from the vaccine. <laughs> from the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the other thing that people are said, like, dude, she died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't it didn't work. But man, yeah, I you know, you forget about those early OG anti-vaxxers. They've yeah. been out here since day one. It wasn't yeah, so the, easy back then. The, the Jenny McCarthy anti-vaxxer era. I loved seeing the headlines once you told me about it, about uh, Marvel actress Evangeline yeah. Lilly uh, takes a stand for uh, what she calls bodily sovereignty. I had to look up, wait, she's in Marvel shit? Mm -hmm. And it's such a reach to call someone who was apparently something called the Wasp in the <laughs> Ant-Man movies, like Marvel yep. actress. It's just like, welcome to Entertainment Tonight. Dog-brained has-been Evangeline Lilly uh, risks whatever is left of her flagging career to take a brave stand. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's funny because she was briefly in Avengers Endgame. Oh, really? Yeah, she just appears as one of the many like running in, but I don't believe I don't believe she was in the ladies' shot. Yeah, they may as well have just CGI'd her. She was just in the big crowd where the one group of people uh, runs into the other group of people. It, yeah. It's kind of the Ready Player One version of having a cameo role. Yeah, but it's it's crazy, right? That, like, the MCU, whatever else you think of it, is such a like incredible cultural force yeah. that, like, that's what they're going to lead with, despite the fact that, like, anybody, eventually, Lily is known for for being the, the girl in Lost. Like, That's so funny that we don't have to, we can we can go from guessing whether Kate would be an anti-vaxxer, uh, which it seems like she would too. 
we never actually did that. <laughs> well, this this kind of did it for us, you know. Yeah, like that's true. actually having the actors uh, on record is uh, yeah is even better. Um, I had a fun couple lost uh character run-ins this week. I have been throwing on the Amazon Prime sci-fi show The Expanse uh, while grinding out bullshit content in Destiny 2. Francois Chow? Yep. Yeah, he he has a role in The Expanse. I've seen a good deal of him. He's fun to see. I also saw in a great show called Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories, which is Tim and Eric's like horror uh, anthology show from a few years back. Jorge Garcia is in an episode where he gets cuckolded by Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Huh. Kind there of fun. Yeah. I uh, finally am watching the sixth season of The Sopranos, as I told you, or the season 6B, I suppose, season 7, yeah. kind of. Uh, and I got to the episode with uh, with Miles. It's a great little, it's a great little junior episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I really like Ken Leong's character there. Just yeah. uh, another immigrant story where someone is just like is having their mind destroyed by being an American. Yeah. Right. Uh, what's this episode called? This is the Lost Me podcast. My name's Ben. That's Spencer. Uh, we talk about the show Lost because I've seen it a whole bunch. Spencer's never seen it before, so we talk about the it episode by episode. And tonight, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 11, Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever. Ah. What do, you, what do you think of when you think of the words Cabin Fever? I'm interested. Well, I think of what I just said, which is the song from the Muppets pirate yeah. movie. Okay, yeah. I didn't remember that part, but what I think is we've got Cabin Fever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with Cabin Fever, the lost episode. It's action-packed. Some of the lock background stuff, mm-hmm. I am kind of confounded by. Okay. But we'll get there. I'm really, I, I can't wait to uh, get your take on some of this stuff. I'm hesitant to even call this a lock episode, which of course it is. But I think maybe that's because some of these scenes, like I'm thinking in particular the teenage lock scene. Yeah, teenage lock is rough. <laughs> I want to forget they exist. It almost it, it almost seems like the show is doing like fan fiction of itself at points. But some of these are very fun. I think that the flashbacks in this episode totally hold up, except for the high school one. They should have figured something else out besides that one. Maybe it was just the acting and the writing. And him saying, don't tell me what I can't do when we're supposed to believe that he learned that from the Orly. I don't know. That felt, that felt very forced. Anyway, well, let's start at the beginning. Start, yeah, starting with 50s gal dancing to uh, I, Buddy Holly. I have to admit, like, I know it's like a, like a white guy cliche, but I do love that song. Going back to the kind of 50s, well, as part of the boomer imaginary, it Lost has to keep going back there culturally, you know? Yeah, well, because this is these are Gen X writers writing what they think their parents' childhood was like. Yeah, yeah. Right? They think that their parents, like, lived in happy days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. And so, like, they mine a lot of content from kind of disturbing that that picture, as we do with Locke's mom. Yeah, she, she gets a call from, uh, she had a baby, eats a boy. Do you remember yeah. that old commercial? <laughs> I don't. Well, it's an old commercial about <laughs> making a collect call. 
Oh, the name is She Had a no, She I Had did. a Baby Eats a Boy. Yeah, no, I, I do remember that commercial now. <laughs> yeah, she she runs out of the house after a fight with mom, uh, right into a car. Yeah, classic lost thing too, which is people getting hit by cars for no reason. But anyway, yeah, she goes to the hospital. Uh, turns out she is six months pregnant and has a baby and says to name him John. And then the baby survives miraculously. And who's there to look after him but our boy, Mr. Richard Albert? Locke's grandmother asks, is that the father uh, about Rich Everlasting? Yeah. Yeah, she, she had a Peggy-style pregnancy. Yeah, didn't know about it. Or didn't tell anybody, at least. Uh, yeah, I suppose she did, but maybe was kind of like uh, burying it. Yeah. She, she comes in to see the baby, and the nurse is just like, he's a fighter, you're John. Uh, he was fucked up in like six <laughs> different ways that we never, we never called you about. Um, he had pneumonia. He had some kind of cradle rash. Yeah. Fine now. He's good. Yeah, but despite all that, uh, she doesn't want anything to do with him. Nope, and he gets put up for adoption. But as we know, Niz never actually adopted and grows up in the foster care system. Yeah, she says, don't tell me what kind of baby abandonment I can't do. <laughs> That's what she says. Uh, so real quick, I mean, where are you at on Richard Albert? What's his deal? He lives forever. Okay. I think maybe he's the the last of a group of people that consider themselves the real others. Whatever being a native might mean, they okay. consider themselves that. And he is a person that tries to enact uh, Jacob's will by okay. by finding uh, people like Locke or like Ben Linus. Okay. You had mentioned before the idea of Richard being someone from the Black Rock, which I thought was interesting. It was definitely something that people talked about at the time without confirming whether or not it's true. That would be my favorite outcome for sure. Okay. But yeah, he, uh, he comes to administer a little, a little test to Kidlock. Which this is another great like mapping point in the boomer imaginary. They love to bet so much. That's true. And he does, you know, he does a little finding the Dalai Lama uh, baby test. Mm -hmm. I always loved this scene because of the way the little kid goes to keep. <laughs> it's just just a very funny line delivery by that little kid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they would be his things, as I yeah. understand it. You know, them trying to find the Dalai Lama by finding the baby who picks the three toys. I think they have a much bigger pile of toys. Really? When they do that search. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with six, you're probably going to get a lot of false positives there. That's fair. Kids just picking it randomly. That's, that's true. I think Richard Alpert actually visiting Locke, them kind of seeding direct, we could call them like mythos elements back into Locke's past. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're kind of robbing from the theme guy to pay the plot guy. Yeah. I liked when Locke was an everyman loser. Mm -hmm. That criticism is by, by no means to say it's not, you know, it's not enjoyable. But it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting that that seems to be the, the turn that late series uh, Lost, Lost makes. Uh, well, I mean, the idea of Locke being a man of destiny has always kind of been there and it's just yeah. sort of a question of is it real or is it his sort of imagination and i think it can kind of be both in a way 
Yeah. That maybe there is some destiny in this in this universe, but also that Locke has incredible delusions about his importance. This isn't just a conspiracy of fate that brought him there. This is a literal conspiracy. A, a literal conspiracy. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. And and that will continue to develop in ways that I think you will find pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally expect fun stuff to come from this. So for now he does not pick the right object. Yeah. He le and Richard leaves. And and then we get the the high school one where it's just it's just bad. I mean, it's just bad writing. <laughs> yeah, Locke uh, does not fucking love science. I'm not a scientist. I like boxing and fishing and cars. I like sports. Which is such a funny <laughs> line because it's just like that's not what anyone's alleging here, bud. Uh, we're just saying you're a loser who's smart. The teacher who's speaking to him, he's like. Uh, I'm gonna tell you something I I wish someone had told to me. Just like making this a weirdly personal moment. You might not want to be the, the guy surrounded by Bunsen burners and beakers and test tubes and pH tests and jars of ammonia. Erlenmeyer flasks. Yeah, but you can't date the prom queen. <laughs> You're a fucking loser. Yeah. Ah, this is a great. This is a fun scene. <laughs> you know, you're convincing me that it's so bad. It's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the idea that the two options are quarterback or like scientist <laughs> in a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is truly back when the myth, the myth of the nerd and the jock was very real. They were the two poles of mankind. Yeah, yeah. he's gonna be like a. The nutty professor in the, in the Jerry Lewis version. Look, you might not think that you want to discover the material flubber in a lab, <laughs> but it's not such a bad life. Yeah, that's good. We get another... Uh... Well, real, real quick, just as a, to make sure you, you got it in the previous one, Middleos Laboratories, that's the same name that they gave Juliet when they were recruiting her. Yes, yeah. So in Portland, yeah. well, here's here's a question: If he'd gone to that, were they just going to take him to the island? That yeah, like... yeah, it's it's a good question. Then we get we get back with uh, relatively close to uh, present day Locke, and th mm -hmm. this is another. This is like I think the best example of what I meant previously. It's totally believable that Locke would think that he could go on a walkabout on his own you know mm -hmm. he, he's that committed and that much of a striver but also a little bit deluded in thinking there's no end to what he can do you know now we we have the reveal it's like oh no it was just matthew avedon like told him yeah. to assume he's where oh no wait no, no he's working for widmore yeah yep not much else from that scene an interesting set of flashbacks i think i think it overall is good for the lock character to give him connection to a mythos that has to start pretty rapidly unfolding i can open my mind to that um there seemed to be this weird like faint at the possibility that michael abaddon was just going to push him down the stairs yeah the idea is put in your mind that he yeah. he is you know at least like metaphorically trying to give Locke a push yeah i think that's right anyway so let's talk about the damn freighter uh, Kimi the Merc, Keemstar. Keemstar the Merc. He's the 
Jock, that uh, not the literal one that shoved uh, Locke into a, a locker and made all the cheerleaders laugh at him, but close enough, right? Yeah, he's, he's, that, he's that kid grown up. Just yeah. a version of that kid grown up. He's back and he's pissed. What happens in that first scene when he gets off the helicopter? He goes and he knocks Michael out. Yeah, I, um, I didn't get it for a second, but when I thought about it, I loved that the gun jammed with Michael. Yep. We're still in Michael can't die rules. Yeah. Michael is unkillable. He's like he's like Michael Myers or Jason. Yep. You couldn't take him down if you tried. If he jumped into the water, would he walk on the bottom of the? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how they would handle that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A big wave would uh, carry him all the way to shore. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I'm here to die, man. That's pretty badass, honestly. Yeah, no, Mike, Michael's doing good work. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I can't kill Michael. No. Uh, and he gets uh, the secondary protocol from the box with the captain, and it has a Dharma logo on it. So what do you think that's about? It, it had a Dharma logo on the front as if to suggest it was Dharma material? Yeah, I think so. Or at least... At least somehow related to the Dharma Initiative. I, I didn't even think about the possibility that Widmore just simply owns the Dharma Initiative, right? I mean, if we're thinking of Ben Linus stealing the island from someone, I mean, he did kind of... No, Widmore doesn't have any connections to the island as far as we know. To, okay. sorry, to, to the Dharma Initiative. We know he has connections okay. to the island. Right. We don't, I don't think he has any of the Dharma Initiative as far as we know. So that's interesting that an order seemingly coming from him would have that logo on it. Yeah, uh, but it says it's going to say where Ben's going to go. Yeah. And then he asks the captain to fix his gun. Yeah, yeah, just kind of puts him in his place. But yeah, Kimi uh, says that according to the protocol, uh, if Linus knows we're going to torch the island, there's only one place he can go. Where do you think that is? Uh, probably the temple. Temple, interesting. Okay. Yeah, why not the temple? We haven't Could seen that temple. yet. We have not seen the temple. We've heard about it a couple times. Yeah. Then we have a scene where the captain goes and tries to help Saeed and Desi get off the island. Mm-hmm. Gets them the Zodiac, and they're going to go start ferrying people. Do we, where, why do we think that Captain Go switches so quickly <laughs> to, um, to Michael? Maybe he just he's desperate. He knows he does not have control of the situation. That could be. Yeah, he's got like right. a full, full on mutiny. He's getting bullied into a full on mutiny. And I guess, you know, a lot of a lot of real life mutinies probably start with bullying. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Desmond does not want to go to the island. He spent uh three years on a hole with a uh former former army black ops guy. I mean, we know that Desmond is dealing with the aftermath of his uh, electromagnetic exposure, but I also don't think we're talking enough about the fact that he's been, like, held in captivity for three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that might be coloring some of his decision-making. Maybe he has uh, cave syndrome, you know? He, he, th he thinks he doesn't want to go see his friends on the island, but really he's just letting his uh, depression uh, get, the, get the better of him. Yeah, that could be. Then we have uh, the scene where the doctor, uh, his throat finally gets cut. Well, first we, first we have Frank and Michael, and we see Kimi getting kitted up with the little thing on his arm. Yep, yep. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, 
we see Ray get his throat cut. <laughs> what, what? How long ago did he wash up in the timeline of the show by now? Like a, a day ago? I think like a day or so, yeah. Yeah, they said the delay was just like 30, 35 minutes or something. Yeah, I, I think that one of those things you kind of just have to accept being just sort of a little quirk. It's it's interesting when it's not exact, when it's just some kind of weird uh, time dilation. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. It's better that way, I think. So then Frank, uh, after Kimi shoots a couple of people, <laughs> Frank agrees to fly back to the island, but first he puts his sat phone in a canvas bag. Very smart, Frank Lapidus. Yeah, I like Frank. He's so yeah, he's Frank's so hard. Great. He's hardworking. Uh, he yeah. seems like I've never seen an episode of the A Team, but uh, he seems like he would fit right in. You know. Well, he just seems like the type of guy you, you know you're running to at a bar. He'll just talk to you for like half an hour because he'll like be drunk and talking to you, and you'll actually enjoy it. He would invite you to do something with him, like build a shed with him the next day, and he would actually follow up. Yeah, that'd be fun. So yeah, that pretty much takes care of the boat. Galt is dead, and Ray is dead. And Who's Kimi, Galt again? The captain. The captain, yep. Yeah. And Kimi is gone fucking mad. At the end of a season of Lost, they always talk about setting up the chess pieces, and sort of like the biggest chess piece coming into this season finale is the fact that this fucking insane Blackwater mercenary yeah. <laughs> is leading an assault on the island. In his own way, an incorporation of of the Iraq War. Yeah. Well, Kimi is also a great character in Lost because he's the rare character with no gray area. Like he is pure antagonist. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's just it's just it's just pure hatred for him on behalf of our main characters. Yeah. He doesn't just do his job by the numbers, though. Yeah. He's very hateable. He's cruel. He's a dickhead. Yeah. He's fun, yeah. fun to have around. Fun to watch on screen. Great, great little sort of seasonal antagonist that they had. Yeah. Well, let's let's just say real quick, we see on the island the fun little Jack scene where he goes, I'm hungry, <laughs> <laughs> to Juliet. Yeah, Locke is, Locke is baby in that moment, and we see Jack, Juliet. Jack, uh, Jack, Jack is baby. Yeah, sorry, Jack is baby. Uh, we see Juliet uh, confirm once again that she is who uh, Jack should end up with. She tells him he's a bad patient and yeah. uh, chill the fuck out. Yeah. Kate would just like start spoon feeding him cereal. <laughs> what he what he what he wants, not what he needs. Um, and uh, <laughs> actors on the show. Uh, yeah, and it, and it's a joy to see Hurley paired with them because yeah, yeah it's honestly those are kind of the three characters I want to see on screen most. Yeah, uh, and in the, in this newly independent, like his own man, Hurley this season, yeah, it's it's very fun. Yeah, it's wild when you think that Hurley hasn't shared an on camera, an on island scene with Jack since the season premiere. Yeah, that's and, that is wild, and that's who he was seen most with throughout the first three seasons, probably. Maybe Jack and Charlie tied. Yeah, man, really, the, just the, how much development he gets really, really stands in contrast to, you know, some other characters, but, you know. Yeah, he he's a character who, like, could have been just a sidekick type yeah. of character, but who they, they took really, like, in, like, an earnest way, took, like, really good care of to make uh, a great main character. Yeah, I think that really is to their credit. It would have been so easy for him to just be a mascot. Yeah, no, he's great. And, and I mean, it's 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 on the it's the writers are great, but it's also just like Jorge Garcia is so magnetic in this role. Yeah, yeah. 
let's see, Locke is having a dream. Yep. Uh, and he finds uh, the Dharma pedo yeah. chopping wood. <laughs> I want. I was hoping you'd remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I was wondering if I had that right or if I was about yeah. to just just accuse some poor actor of being a pedophile. <laughs> no, that's uh, Doug. Doug something. He he is in fact a pedophile. Yeah, he looks like the Dharma pedo. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to go into the details, but there is an actual allegation. We're not just saying this for fun, yeah, <laughs> even no, though I mean, it's a it's a well known story. He he married he married a sixteen year old. But yeah, the dude is chopping wood. I'm gonna ask: Is he creating the actual cabin? Yes, I think so. Okay. I think that Locke is having an experience where he lives in a loop of this moment of this guy's life back in the 80s or 90s uh, where he built the cabin. You know, uh, he's he's like talking to Locke and he's like, yeah, I just need to build a place to get away from the Dharma initiative. And Locke's like, <laughs> Locke's nods. He's like, yeah, uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, and I, you know, need to get my wife away from her high school classes. And Locke is just like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what he's. On. That's yeah, that's what he wants to use the yes. shed for. <laughs> um, oh man! But yeah, he's he says that once Locke finds his body, finds the Dharma Initiative, uh, he will find his way to Jacob. Yep, uh, and then we get the wonderful scene of Ben just staring at Locke sleeping. <laughs> I used to dream. It's it's very fun how many how many lines in this episode that Ben gets just like kind of like saucily being jealous of Locke. Like yeah. that used to, that used to be me, but I got a tumor. Yeah, no, it's it's Ben in like just like loser mode. Which yeah, is, yeah, kind of great. He's pouting. Hurley has that fun aside. I think we can both see the uh, the lodge because we're the craziest. Yeah, um, he could very well be onto something. Yeah. And then they do eventually get to the pit. Well, Hurley asks about uh, the Dharma Initiative, and he and Locke is just like, yeah, there must have been a hundred of them making all that ranch dressing you like so. <laughs> just bullying them for, <laughs> for liking the ranch dressing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I forgot about that line. It's sort of un- like too mean for Locke. Locke's he doesn't. Not, act, of course, he doesn't actually say fatso, but yeah, he yeah, does I mean, say they make all the ranch dressing you like. Yeah, but like it's clear what the implication is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, Hurley gets he he says what happened to them, and Locke goes he did. Yeah. Um, and then they get the map from Horace's uh, pocket, and. Locke tries to tell Hurley to go back to camp, and Hurley's like, fuck no, man. I'm not yeah. going back to camp. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's exciting to know that uh yeah, Hurley Hurley's gonna be in play with uh, real players for our big season finale. Yeah. And then uh what do you think? Do you think that Locke was manipulating Hurley like uh like Ben says or no? I think Locke does do things like that sometimes on a level that he is like barely aware of. Mm-hmm. I think Ben is, Ben is essentially correct there in his reading. All right. So then we get sort of the big, the big scene of the episode where Locke goes into the cabin and he talks to Christian Shepard, not wearing a suit, 
but wearing yeah. the clothes he was sort of dressing like an other almost, like an other from season two. Yeah. Uh, and he's with Claire. And he says he speaks on behalf of Jacob and uh, that he's here because he was chosen. And then Claire says that, uh, what does Claire say? Uh, that Aaron is not meant to be there. And Christian says that he can help Locke save the island. What do you make of this scene? It's such a weird scene. This is where the show has charted towards in that originally Christian Shepherd was something that we could assume like assume only Jack could see, right? Uh we mm-hmm. had no we had no indications elsewise. Uh but now he's, you know, not only appearing to Claire, he's appearing um, embodied to Locke. The bad dad takes flesh. Yeah. I I, th- I think I kind of like it. It's, I still haven't quite resolved it in my mind. Yeah, and what is Claire doing there? Her daddy issues have actually like literally enthralled her, kind of hypnotized yeah. her in a way that like Jack is still allowed some some distance from his. Interesting. The weirdest thing for me f- from this finale is if you know Claire gets to see Christian, Locke gets to see Christian. It would be weird if Jack didn't. Okay, interesting. First, I forgot, we did forget one great little moment with Ben where he has his very sort of hammy line, Destiny John is a fickle bitch. And then we get one of my favorite shots in Lost, which is Ben and Hurley sharing the Apollo bar. Yeah, that's 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 really perfect. Yeah. And then Locke comes out and he says, we're supposed to move the island. Cut to Lost. Great end to a penultimate episode for a season. What do you think moving the island means? I want to know. Moving it in time, maybe? Because moving it in space, I don't think, would prevent Martin Kimi from getting there. I have to imagine it means something like dislocating it in, in time, maybe. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it was definitely the talk of the message boards. Um, so we will see. All right. The next episode we're going to be talking about is the season four finale it's called there's no place like home and it is a three-part episode it aired in uh it aired in two nights when it was originally aired but i think we should talk about it in one stretch and then we'll make a decision about whether to make it two episodes or just one extra long podcast episode probably just one long one long episode if you like us tell your friends and we'll talk to you later have a good one